Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness and well-being and I'm delighted that you're here. Morena everyone, I hope you are having a fabulous week. So this week I have the pleasure of chatting to my good friend Sarah Lake. Now Sarah is a New Zealand registered nutritionist who is also a certified intuitive eating counsellor and this is what we spend the majority of our time discussing today. Sarah has a health science degree in psychology and a master of science degree in human nutrition, both from Massey University. And she's also completed the psychological approaches for weight concerns module, which makes her really experienced with regards to the psychological element of diet culture, losing weight, and potentially a more appropriate approach for someone who is in that space and feels unable to kind of get out of it. For most of Sarah's working life, she's been heavily involved with the food and supplement industry and she works in product development, regulation and health and nutrition claims. And so Sarah has so many feathers to her cap um, that we could have talked for hours on a number of different topics. She's that knowledgeable. Instead, for this conversation, we spend our time discussing the principles behind intuitive eating how they fit with health at every size and whether there is any synergy with diet culture or actually there's not and why not. It was such a great conversation and you can reach Sarah at nznutritionist.com on the internet and she's also very active on Instagram as well with that same handle at nznutritionist. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Sarah Lake. Sarah. Hi Mickey. How are you this morning? I'm good thanks. I feel like this is uh, the pinnacle of my career right here right now. Well you really should because yes to uh, you know come on and be a guest on Wikipedia is you know one of the best things that you could possibly do for your career so well done. (laughs) The highest honor. Exactly and really what what better way to kind of wrap up a week really isn't it? Yes that's right. Nice. It's so a, it's Friday, we're not quite having, um, you know, a wine podcast though. It's early. It so, is. I mean, we could have had a champagne breakfast yeah. kind of start <laughs> to a virtual breakfast. Actually, yeah. now that you mention it, that would have been ideal. But yeah. uh, perhaps next time, because I mean, look, the reality is, out of all of my colleagues, you are certainly one where I feel there is just so many topics that we could sit down and discuss based on your experience and, you know, your career and also mm. your studies and stuff that um, we are focusing on intuitive eating today. I'd like to get into other things as well, but they may really be the realm of another podcast because this in itself is, you know, this is probably hours worth of discussion that we could it have. Is. It's a huge topic, but it's also a, a really exciting topic to talk about. Yeah. You know, we won't run out of things to say, that's for sure. 
Well, that's good. Well, you know, Sarah, I'm really interested. You've got a, a Bachelor of Health Science in Psychology and obviously a Master's in Nutrition. That doesn't necessarily automatically mean that you, we're going to get this uh, level of information in and around intuitive eating. And I feel like it's a really misunderstood area. And I say mm -hmm. that because I myself, I'm not really clear on how you might approach something like this with someone who is kind of struggling with their quote unquote relationship with food, if you like, mm -hmm. and whether or not it is even possible to intuitively eat in this, I suppose, modern day environment where there are so many hyper palatable foods, which might override some of our more natural kind of cues. So but before we go into that, can you please, because I feel like that in itself is, you know, could be an hours long discussion. Um, <laughs> yeah. Could you tell me how you kind of came about studying more in-depth intuitive eating? Because I do, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure you're one of the only people I know who is actually certified in it. Yeah, well, it's been a long process and it is an interesting story. Um, I've been in and around nutrition and food for a very long time, but my interest in intuitive eating came about through the resolution of my own eating disorder. So back in my late teens and early 20s, I was suffering quite a lot with um, an eating disorder. Binge eating disorder was the main crux of it, but it also ventured into other areas. I was just generally very disordered around food. And the system that I used to recover from that was based around various books that I'd found in the library that were happening around that time. So this is in the early 90s here, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was like last millennia. I know. <laughs> you, you probably weren't even born. Oh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> it was so... I had picked up the idea of developing a more natural or going back to a kind of a relationship with food in my body that I had had when I was younger, you know, before the disorder kicked in. And How around, old were you, Sarah? So I would have been in my, my eating disorder started when I was about 15. Yeah. But by the time I decided I was over it and wanted to get rid of it. You know, I wanted to be normal again. I was around 23, 24. Okay. And did you have help from someone else, you know, in the kind of counseling arena, a dietitian? I, yeah. I went to the, I was at Otago Uni at the time and I went to the psychologist there, but I only went to two, ses two sessions and I was like, nah, she doesn't get me. Um, for a start, binge eating disorder was not at that time recognized. Mm. So it's it different not, now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was not in the DSM um, and it was, I, I didn't know what I had, but looking through these books at the time, and this is just before intuitive eating came out. So the, I believe the first um, version of it was published in 1995. Yeah. But by then I'd already done a lot of the work based around other books and just based around thinking, how did I want to be? And the first thing I did was something that is a big part of intuitive eating, which is take the rules away. Okay. Because you know, what I've been trying to do was live on a very strict, no additives, no sugar, you know, nothing processed. Mm. Um, and I was also trying to do a bit of fasting and I was just like, I was 
it was a mess and it was yeah. all resulting in kind of breakout binge eating that was really distressing to me because I couldn't control it. So I'd, I'd almost got there. I was pretty, pretty much well on the way. And then the intuitive eating book came out and I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is just exactly what I'm trying to do. This is great. They've got it all down here. It's in a structured framework and it has changed a bit over the years. So they're on the fourth edition now. Um, but at that time it was like, yes. And all the little worksheets and everything were kind of what I'd been doing for myself anyway, you know, trying to monitor my hunger and fullness levels, dealing with my emotions, um, <laughs> all of that, you know, it's just a, yeah. a, sort of a, a very in-depth process of self-awareness and self-knowledge. Yeah, interesting. And what, yeah. I, what I find really interesting from just your uh, kind of talking us through your journey is just your acknowledgement that, you know, part of your eating disorder was around these rules and these restrictions. Mm. And it's, it's an interesting spectrum as to first what actually is an eating disorder. And you mentioned the DSM, the yeah. Diagnostic um, statistical manual, manual. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it records all the um diagnoses for psychiatric illnesses that's the thing so, right is yeah. and I feel like that's something that we have to acknowledge because often people you know you often see out in social media and this is a bit of a tangent away from our um, discussion around intuitive eating but I do feel it's related is that you know that certain behaviors or patterns or like intermittent fasting or if you want to go if you want to go paleo or do keto then mm. this is clearly a sign of an eating disorder because of the food choices but it's much more like an, an eating disorder well, isn't about food food it's about that's right that psychology you know I mean what you're describing there those various trendy diets are definitely what I would think of as part of diet culture however mm. if you're choosing to eat that way that doesn't mean you have an eating disorder yeah you could yep. be eating anyway and yeah. be a normal eater. there's plenty of normal eaters that eat in what you would think of as very strange ways just because of their food preferences or whatever um you know my sister she never eats dessert and she's just like I'm just not a dessert person yeah I do not relate to this does not comprehend <laughs> I just not compute but you know it's not what you eat although what you eat can um lead you into an eating disorder or be a symptom of one but it's not necessarily that but anyway yeah. to to continue how I <laughs> so that book came out and I filed it away in my memory and years and years and years later, as soon as I popped out of my master's degree, mm -hmm. <laughs> I signed up for the intuitive eating certification training course with Evelyn Trebley. So she the, she was one of the creators, is that She's the co-creator right? of intuitive eating, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to my great, I mean, this was, uh, I did not foresee this happening, which is kind of around 2018, 2019 with social media intuitive eating which had kind of been slow burning all of this time people knew about it but it wasn't really out there mm. um suddenly it was everywhere yeah <laughs> it it suddenly went boom you know intuitive eating all over instagram which is my main social media and yeah. so it popped back into my mind i thought oh i'm okay as soon as i'm done with my masters which took forever <laughs> <laughs> no, you yes. you were there listening, <laughs> listening to my pain 
all the way through. Um, <laughs> as soon as I'd done that, I signed up for her course. I'd looked into it. There are other courses in non-diet nutrition. Yeah. But I wanted to be sure that I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And that I was understanding it correctly. I felt like I had a good understanding, but I learned so much through doing that course. Well, that's, um, that's great yeah. because I feel like, I feel like I would know what intuitive eating is and I could describe it to someone. But as I kind of like kicked our call off by saying is that, the, you know, it's, it can be difficult or that the argument is mm. it's difficult to be intuitive in this eating environment. And so, and so someone cannot just go from a disordered eating pattern to be intuitive without changing their food supply. And the, you know, this is how I feel about it too. So this is why I'm really looking forward to the discussion because yeah, you'll help actually, me understand it more because I have a, I have a half written blog post on this, which I must finish. It's taking a while because of uh, the, this it is a hard thing to describe how it works in terms of intuitive eating does not really buy into the idea that hyperpalatable foods mess with um intuitive eating how do you feel about that do you agree with that well having seen it in work now mm. i have to say that i do and also having looked at at the research which, there is research around the, oh, the hyperpalatable oh my gosh there's so much research yeah <laughs> there's so much research however none of this research does what I would like to see <laughs> which is where you take people that are at a stable weight and have a healthy relationship with food and you present to them a real world situation mm. where there is available a selection of processed and unprocessed foods and a wide selection of things and they eat ad libitum and you just see what happens you know they're not dieting because a lot of this research is done in the environment of a um, hypocaloric diet which mm. ramp up your appetite and make high sugar and high fat foods more attractive anyway they have yeah they have a greater effect on you. So now, that's so just to explain to people system. who just to explain to people yeah. who aren't familiar, like a, a hypocaloric, I mean, what we're really saying is people Sorry. are, yeah, <laughs> people are restricting their calories, eating less than right, what they yeah. necessarily need. And so that will absolutely yeah. drive hunger cues. Yeah. And I have seen this at work now and it's quite something to see. And I've been there myself, <laughs> um, more to the point. So I know how it feels to think that you are addicted to food um and can't stop eating certain foods are horribly attracted to certain foods obsess about certain foods so with me it was potato chips and ice cream <laughs> and I literally could not have these in the house once I got into the you know I could have them in the house but I had to admit to myself I was gonna they they would all be gone yeah, uh, yeah. so that is the food addiction model that there is something in these foods that we can't resist once we start eating them. Once I stopped dieting and started living for quite some time on a um, diet, diet, nutrition way of eating where I wasn't losing weight or trying to lose weight or restricting any foods, suddenly I was not 
interested in these anymore I remember one mm. Easter where there was you know people still even when you're an adult your mum gives you Easter eggs or whatever yeah and awesome. um and suddenly I looked in the fridge and I went well I'll, you know these are still all sitting here and I don't want them anymore mm. um so it's a psychological a psychological feature of humans that when we restrict or deny ourselves something it becomes more attractive it's not just with food um look at what happened actually this is paraphrasing what Evelyn was saying on her Instagram the other day but I'd already been thinking about this look at what happened when we went into lockdown mm. and suddenly people were anticipating running out of things toilet paper yeah it's not even like they were running out of toilet paper yet. Did anybody actually run out of toilet paper? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the same with food. You don't even have to be restricting. You just have to be thinking <laughs> about restricting. Mm. And suddenly these things develop a halo of attractiveness. So what you're really referring to is, is because the intuitive eating, that's, you know, it's, it includes 10 principles and mm. some are self-evident but others of course um, I really would love your input and interpretation on and how you might practice these but what you're really kind of talking to might be even that first principle of rejecting that diet diet mentality yeah I am talking about rejecting the diet mentality but we're also talking about principle three which is make peace with food yeah those um, forbidden it's, foods. It is, it's, it is the most misunderstood part of intuitive eating for the reason you said, which mm. is that there is research showing that people eat more when presented with hyperpalatable foods. Mm. But as I was saying with the research, I haven't found any that does it in a, in a real world situation. So they'll either be dieting them, you know, they, they, the research is on people that are trying to lose weight or it's an unreal situation where their where choices were either unprocessed food or only processed food. Okay. <laughs> and, of yeah, course, yeah. and of course, you're going to eat more if all you have access to is processed food, but we're not in that situation. So, I mean, most people are not in that situation. Mm. So with this, making peace with food, it, it is... The thing people jump on with intuitive eating and say, oh, because uh, the other part of it is giving yourself unconditional permission to eat. So you would yeah. have heard that. Yeah. You would have heard that. And yeah. people do interpret that as, oh, she's saying, eat I'm all the things. Supposed to eat. You know, I'm supposed to throw my brain and all my knowledge of nutrition out the window mm. and um, just eat processed foods all the time like we, we're never saying <laughs> that um eating chocolate instead of meals is is healthy you know or or is what we're aiming for here but we are taking morality out of it so if you do eat a chocolate bar for for breakfast you haven't done something bad you know it's not like you murdered yeah. somebody it's yeah. not something you have to beat yourself up about um it can all be part of it. It can yeah. all be part of it. You know, you don't have to tell yourself you'll never eat chocolate again. Yeah. You would be so familiar with that with your work as well, that when somebody is anticipating a restrictive diet, a common thing is for them to go on a kind of pre-diet, last supper, food funeral. Yeah. 
splurge that may last days or, or weeks. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And you yeah. know, it's really interesting what you say because, uh, what I would, you know, one of the one of the terms that, that, that whole morality around food, you know, oh. like that's real virtual signaling. Like you'll see on yeah. social media, people will post up the most quote unquote perfect meals, and you kind of feel almost and like it's a it's a sign to the rest of the world that they are this you know perfect amazing human being mm. um, because they're eating in a certain way and, and I mean there are certain you know if I think about uh like veganism for example is often is often painted with this whole kind of morality attached to it which is understandable given how people understand the science mm. or misunderstand the science around some of the environmental costs, but certainly animal welfare and, and things like that, which I'm I'm not judging anyone on that, but like everyone has their own belief system and, and what they value. But you often, if you kind of look at um, certain dietary approaches, it might be more prevalent, that whole virtual signaling and morality than others. And if I just add in here as well, one of the terms I really hate, well, two terms I hate, one is clean eating. Yeah, I what, cannot yeah. stand that. Eat in the all. shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. if you're not eating foods which fall under that umbrella of clean eating, does that therefore make you eating, you know, dirty foods? You know, what is the, you just have to think about what the opposite, you know, what, what it's implying. Yeah. Um, and then guilt-free. And this is on everything you know so and so something is guilt-free etc etc and like there are certainly foods which I love and I eat but I really hate the way that they are promoted as such mm, you know it's a guilty treat it is yes <laughs> totally so I feel yeah. like you're absolutely right there is so much of that um uh, kind of psychology in yeah, and around what, food. what you're talking about there is diet culture Mm. Um, diet culture the idea that by manipulating your diet and your body size you are a better person I mean that yeah. is just one aspect of diet culture there's more to yeah. it than that but that's you know when when you're eating these things and it, it is definitely a thing on social media um, it portrays you in a certain way when you are eating a certain way what does that mean it means you are a successful person it means you are an attractive person you know you're lovable you're um you have self-discipline mm. and people who don't eat like that don't have those things right yeah yeah well it's interesting as yeah. well because this is totally tied up to kind of weight stigma as well right yeah. like if you look at the yeah. research as to people who carry excess body weight and the you know research in and around kind of um, employment and um, level of attractiveness and people's opinions on them they are often kind of cast as less employable less attractive um, don't look after themselves there's no mm. self-care that kind of thing so that is that that's kind of related oh it's very related so what you're talking about is closely related to but not quite the health at every size paradigm yes. which intuitive eating comes under the umbrella of now I can't talk too much about health at every size because I haven't really studied it in depth and mm. I can't say that I fully understand all the nuances of it I mustn't that? understand the nuances yeah. because when I see it, I'm yeah. like, hang on, that's like, yeah, there are just, there is some disconnect. I just don't understand it, I don't think. because no, I'm getting more into it, um, into the understanding of it, which is, 
how to describe this. So there's this idea that if you're carrying a certain level of body fat, that must automatically be unhealthy. Yeah. And I've kind of deconstructed that. I've been looking about uh, at metabolic health and yeah, health varies no matter what your size is. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but the other side of looking at it is how accurate is this research that shows excess, as we could say, um, a high level of body weight is unhealthy. How accurate is that research that correlates this level of body fat with these health outcomes? And the reason mm. is because what you're saying, weight stigma. Mm. So as you know, I did my research project for my master's with women who had had bariatric surgery. Mm. And I was there able to discuss in depth the stigma and discrimination that many of them had experienced. Uh, by the way, I'll say not all of them had. Mm. So some of them said that they, they had been in larger bodies all their lives and the reason they had the surgery had nothing to do with weight stigma. Now, whether that's true or not or whether it had just gone so far underground mm. that it was experienced as normal is one thing. So looking when you're looking at weight and health, you have this impact of weight stigma. And part of that is a reluctance to engage with the medical system. So what you see is, uh, for example, with diagnosis of diseases and cancer particularly is a later diagnosis mm. for several reasons. One, because they delay going to the doctor because they know it's likely they'll just be told to lose weight mm. um, and the second one is just larger body size means that um, particularly cancer may take longer and be bigger by the time you feel it then there's the other side of it um, there's a great <laughs> great a, a confronting research paper showing that in the oncology system um quite often people in larger bodies are not given the correct dose of chemo mm. because chemo is weight titrated yeah and um doctors may be unwilling to go as high as that person needs mm. so how does that play into how do those two things play into these statistics that we see around larger bodies and cancer mm, so to, and that's just one thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah same with um joint problems now nobody is saying that everybody can be healthy in any size body nobody is saying that not even yeah. in um you know the the health at every size books yeah however this idea we have that oh you're in a larger body you must be unhealthy let's fix that by <laughs> making you smaller yeah, uh, we might give you an eating disorder, but oh well. Yeah, well, yeah. and I guess it's that um, <laughs> you know, it's it. I I guess probably some of the disconnect in terms of understanding is health at any size. People then therefore the opposite must be true. Like so, the message is you can be healthy in any body size. People are like, well, no, that can't be true because of everything you know all that we've just talked about with metabolic health and, and disease and, and stuff mm. like that. Like it's, I feel this is why it's good. We're having this conversation, Sarah, because I often see intuitive eating and health at any size kind of together. They yeah. are quite separate 
Well, they're, they're related, but like I said, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> say how related they are. So health at every size is also um, intersectional. So it brings in aspects of racism particularly and looks at the, the wider social picture, you know, social determinants of health. Now, some of that also comes into intuitive eating, but like I say, I'm kind of at a beginning, I consider myself at a early stage of learning about all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't want to speak up too loud on that just yet and, and get it wrong. But at the same time, there's the danger of saying nothing and yeah. thereby, and thereby, um, you know, exactly that, saying nothing. And, yeah. And so not helping. Let's move on then to the second principle of intuitive eating, which is honor hunger. Yeah. And what I will say is, is uh, with a lot of people I work with, they are afraid to be hungry so yeah. and it's in part because in their head to be hungry means that they are unsure that they'll be able to control themselves at the next meal and then binge eat mm. so yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about how intuitive eating kind of approaches this on your hunger yeah it's a good one it's inter an interesting one because there is that side to it there's also the people that say they never get hungry <laughs> yeah <laughs> or that they are, have um, become so accustomed to ignoring their body signals that they don't recognize hunger. Yeah. So sometimes honoring your hunger, when I'm working with somebody with intuitive eating, we don't often do it in order. Mm. It's not like, you know, principle one, okay, a couple of weeks, we get that out of the way, next one. <laughs> it's, there's, a, there's an assessment scale developed by researcher Tracy Tilker mm. that runs through the, the person you have in front of you and where they might be at and indicates the practitioner where to start. Okay. So with the type of clients that I'm working with, honor your hunger is often kind of the third, usually the third or fourth thing we would work on. Mm. Um, a lot of them are coming from a history of binge eating disorder, which really does mess with your hunger. <laughs> and yeah, yeah and, and there is also a fear of hunger because it may drive you to a binge. Um, and I think the fear of hunger also comes from dieting because it's quite common in dieting to kind of want to save your calories for later in the day. Yeah. And so hunger is a thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and often and often people don't trust themselves. So when no. I'm talking to clients as well and they they have that style of eating, which I have to say, uh, time-restricted eating mm. can encourage it as well, where people are like, oh, I'm not at all hungry until like, you know, one or two o'clock. Yeah. But then I can't not then I then I start eating and it's like I can't stop or I'm grazing yeah. or I've had a massive dinner but I'm still not satisfied although I'm full you know and I think that that's a phenomenon yeah. that a lot of people kind of have and and what and if I try to encourage them to eat earlier they in their head they're like well I'm just going to be eating more in general because I'm still going to be that that's hungry it. so it's trusting the body signals but that's you have exactly. to that's exactly it. They think that if they honor their hunger early in the day, they're going to overeat that day. Yeah. But um, yeah, I used to have that, that mindset. I think yeah. everybody's that's dieted has been there. You've got a certain number of calories for the day 
And, you know, if you use them all in the morning, you're going to be starving at night. Yeah, basically. In your experience, yeah. when, when you work with clients in and around their hunger cues, what do you, what do you see? What, what subsequently happens when you work on this? Well, it is, it's not quite as easy as just tuning in with yourself and saying, am I hungry? Hmm. Although eventually it can become that. Um, because there's another side to it, which is figuring out, are you hungry or is this an attempt at emotional regulation? Okay. Now, it's not, um, it's not bad to eat for emotional reasons. And who doesn't, you know, like food exactly. is tied into like emotions. So like, and it's not just eating when you're sad, depressed, yeah, um, angry, stressed. It's when we're happy, we eat, you know, That's when right. we're excited, yeah. we eat. Yeah. And so, and so it's a, it's quite the process of figuring out, am I hungry? How hungry am I? Am I kind of hungry that I would like a snack or am I hungry enough that it's time for a meal even if it's not at meal time. meal time and then there's also the aspect of of looking at how hunger works with your day I mean it's we're not babies that can just scream for food now mum will come um <laughs> we we work and we yeah. we pretty much have um you know break times <laughs> so it's also that aspect of looking at well I was super hungry at lunchtime so even though I ate to the level of my hunger at breakfast maybe tomorrow I'll try eating more yeah, yeah you know so even though or I wasn't even hungry at breakfast time however I didn't get a chance to eat until lunch and then I stuffed my face with pies because I was absolutely ravenous so the sometimes honoring your hunger does mean eating when you're not hungry mm, yeah interesting yeah, yeah. It's, That's something that you know, people, you know, I've always wondered what, you know, because a lot of people say to me, I'm just natural. I've never wanted breakfast, you know, and yeah. certainly we've moved on past those times of saying breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Sure, for some people it is, but for some people it's, you know, it's not. And it's, I think, may, is it about looking at subsequent kind of behavior and physiological yeah. cues and just kind of tie off them and to figure out whether yeah, or not eating we're is always important. Looking, we're always looking at context and also what has happened you know have you had a very stressful day that's that's driven you to um snack in the afternoon even though you weren't really hungry mm. um although an afternoon snack is snack is generally a good idea you know I think three or four hours without food is probably the 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 a good amount of time um that's another matter <laughs> but yeah. this so dealing with emotions is important because um although it's fine to eat for emotional reasons sometimes it it's also important to learn how to deal with feelings appropriately so what is your advice for someone then who who may recognize that they eat for emotional reasons more so than a you know that they're hungry really hungry yeah well and sometimes this may require referring them to a psychologist mm, yeah you know, it may be more than I can do yeah um, they may need somebody who's a professional in mental health yeah so 
It's a matter of drilling down. You know, where does this need to eat come when I'm not hungry come from? And what is it that I really need? Yeah. And it's it's looking at self-care. Mm. Um, we're pretty bad at self-care mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. And food is an easy form of self-care, but it's not always what we really need. You know, we might need rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we might need to just button off and, and get out into nature or um, we might need social connection. Yeah. You know, that what do we really need in this situation? And quite often we've become so used to not looking after our our needs that it can take a while to figure out what they really are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, does you, that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And particularly yeah. that what you say about referring on to a psychologist or a counsellor mm. or something like that to kind of delve a bit deeper. I, you know, I've made that recommendation to a number of people over mm. the years. Uh, and I have to say with, with, you know, mixed success, basically, because yeah, sometimes fine. you're telling things, pe- telling people things that they don't want to hear because they're, they're coming to see me for a food plan. You know, mm. they don't, they, they disconnect that or they disassociate the, their feelings and their emotions with actually their food and my role, I think. Whereas, you know, you and I both know that as practitioners in nutrition mm. and, and um, seeing clients as nutritionists, like you cannot dissociate the two. Like it's, you know, food and feelings and stuff is all kind of wound up. Yeah, it is. That's, that's basically why I went through psychology and then nutrition in my, in my uni life even though, I mean, I was at uni forever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, definitely. Sometimes when people come to a nutritionist, they are feeling uncomfortable with themselves and Mm. their body. And they've come to the conclusion that this is because they need to lose weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there are maybe odd occasions where, (laughs) you can tweak the diet a little bit the nutrition and you know their body was ready and they do lose weight but it doesn't if that happens it doesn't usually solve their dissatisfaction with themselves yeah yeah interesting yeah and often that wasn't really the issue Yeah. yeah so even if sometimes their weight appears very much to be the issue in their minds it can often be because of the stigma they've received because of their size if you see what I mean I see what you mean and until they address that their desire for weight loss or to be in a a smaller body is likely like that may come but not until they actually deal with the underlying issues yeah well also weight stigma is actually not something that the individual can stop yeah yeah so there are techniques for dealing with it but really it's a societal problem um which just seems huge i mean it is everywhere this idea that um basically people in larger bodies it's it's almost the last acceptable stigma (laughs) isn't it yeah it's, yeah you know, they, they're made fun of you know in in movies people yeah in fat suits being the the stupid person or you know yeah. the stupid version of somebody that later becomes thin and intelligent yeah it's, yeah so the 
emotions that somebody is having around the size of their body are not often all in their might. <laughs> yeah. No, it's often real. And the desire to be thinner to stop this is also real. Yeah. However, yeah. that brings into the next thing is how successful uh, is it to slim people down by diet and exercise? Uh, and then, you know, it, how successful are we <laughs> at making people thinner? And then how successful is being thinner on making people happier? Yeah. And that's like, and that's like an entirely like a part, like a 10 part podcast series. Yeah, that's itself, right. It really, really is. is. And, and yeah. I was reading, there was a new, um, a new meta analysis, new being April, 2020, being how far behind I am on my, on my reading showing that overall, I mean, this is not the only one, there are tens and tens of meta-analyses from important places like Harvard and UCLA, University of Minnesota, meta-analyses looking at the success of weight loss interventions. Mm. And, and this one looked at 14 different named diets. So we're talking about Atkins diet, Mediterranean diet, you know, paleo, whatever. Um, and concluded you know maximum weight loss from these these plans was six months to a year and from that point everybody was on a trajectory of weight gain yeah so by five years nearly everybody had regained back all the weight on all the diets mm. and um however some of the plans had particularly the Mediterranean style of eating had sustained health improvements mm. in terms of cardiovascular risk factors, um, inflammation markers and cardio, you know, yeah, cholesterol and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So more and more studies coming out like this. So we have to ask ourselves really, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, this is where, where I came to. It's, it's depressing. We're nutritionists. We want to think that somebody comes to us and we can help them lose weight. And sometimes we can, mm. but we have to say, you know, there's a pretty high chance that if you do lose weight, you will gain it back. That's mm, mm. just reality. We don't want to face it, do we? I suppose if the diet industry had figured out how to lose weight and keep it off, there would be no diet industry, basically. You know, yeah. and and I had a chat to Dr. <laughs> Eric Helms, which is actually how you came up, Sarah, because we were talking about how you know, in like, because he works with a lot of physique athletes. And so they're, mm -hmm. and, and just people who are actually just wanting to lose weight, you know, like they, this is yeah. just what they want. And I feel like, and I feel like you and I would be on the same page. It, that's, it's a valid thing for someone to want, you know, and I feel, you know, a lot like there's a lot of kind of bashing out there in social media about even the idea that someone might want to lose weight. Oh, Whereas obviously, you know, that this is the area that I work in all the time and I talk in and mm. I'm really passionate about trying to help people. Um, and Eric and I were talking about the whole maintenance and people often don't practice maintenance within their weight loss journey. So it's, you know, once you, so losing weight is fairly simple. I'm not going to say easy because some people don't find it easy, but it is actually quite a simple um, thing to do. And it's keeping it off is the problem because mm. you then are like, well, you know, if this is what it took for me to lose weight, 
I've now got to try and figure <laughs> out or, you know, how it is that I maintain this in and around every, all of the physiological changes and the psychological changes that occur. You know, it is, it is, it, yeah, it's certainly challenging. Yeah. Um, this is, um, it's interesting because we, we're talking about the 10 principles of intuitive eating. There's also four stages. So I've just got the book right here. Yeah. Oh, because I can't remember how exactly it's put. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the stage one of a person who's right to go down the intuitive eating pathway is hitting diet bottom. Huh, yeah, nice. So you, you're over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You are ready to not diet again. So typically that would be the person who has lost weight and regained it possibly multiple times. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to do that again. Mm -hmm. Or they've lost weight and maintained it, but the process of maintaining it was making them miserable. Yeah. yeah. I've had a few people like that also. And it may be healthier for that person to relax a bit, live in a, a slightly bigger body or even a much bigger body and be happy, healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. What yeah. about what's the second one, Sarah? Oh, sorry, the stages of intuitive eating. Yeah, the, the four stages. So the second one is that where you start learning in intuitive eating. It's called exploration. Yeah. So the, what I like about intuitive eating is it's a kind of no-fail system. doesn't matter what you do. It's still, pointing, it's still getting you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, conscious learning and pursuit of pleasure. Now, that sounds a bit like you're going all hedonistic and, you know, rolling around in green jelly <laughs> but no no it's more just getting away from the idea that you have to deny yourself and suffer in life with food and yeah nice get what you want stage three crystallization which yeah. is where you're getting a grip on it all and then stage four is called the intuitive eater awakens sounds and quite spiritual doesn't it it is a bit of a i guess psychological spiritual process so yeah and so sarah so we've got these 10 principles which we haven't actually gone through all of them and we, oh, we will we do no, that however um and then you've got these stages so once so um what i'm going to do is park those stages come back mm. to to them after we we kind of cover all of the principles which actually even though we've only kind of highlighted a few of them we've actually covered a lot of quite quite a bit, yeah yeah quite quite a bit but i want to i know how that actually all kind of fits together now one of the things like challenging the food police and is, is this where someone takes a stand against a certain way of thinking in around what's good, what's, what's quote unquote good, quote unquote there's bad. Two, there's two sides to it. One yeah. is challenging your internal rules around food that you've developed through yeah. a lifetime of living in diet culture. Mm. And the other one is actually challenging the food police around you in terms yeah. of people around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly for somebody in a larger body, um, you know, everybody thinks they have a right to comment on what they eat. Mm. And so there are some techniques we use uh, to, to sort of how, how to handle those situations. What are um, a couple of those techniques? Well, one of them is when you know you're walking into a situation where there's a, there's a high chance um, people are going to start talking about what you're eating or your body safe christmas with your family 
mm. you have a kind of pre-planned exit strategy. Yeah, yeah. To literally leave. Yeah. <laughs> or take a break. Yeah. You know, so when you arrive, you go, oh, um, you know, I've got to, got to zip out at blah, blah, hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one of them. Um, the other is learning non-confrontational communication techniques around how these things make you feel yeah so things like um when you comment on my eating um it makes me feel uncomfortable i would prefer if you didn't comment on what i eat yeah this is that this you know when you it makes me feel i would prefer um sort of uh phrasing is supposed to be a non-confrontational way of letting somebody know that what they're doing is you would prefer that they didn't yeah and you know I feel like I can see why that would be non-confrontational because you're taking the you're not the person hopefully won't well ideally they would not get defensive and feel that blame from you because you're actually taking ownership it's not necessarily them it's how you feel about them saying it yeah that's right you're telling them how it makes you feel and if you if they like you they'll care about how you feel yeah yeah they're just assholes whoops sorry yeah Yeah, it's fine (laughs) I'll put an e on it (laughs) it's not too bad a word is it no um and they will continue to harass. And then you have a choice. You know, what are you going to do with that person? Do you need that person in your life? Yeah. You know, it's kind of hard if they're your husband or whatever. But Well, do you know, it's really interesting. No. I was, just before we move on to the next point, I was chatting to someone on social media and, and she was talking about her own kind of journey in and around weight loss and she said for her and so she so she used to be bigger and now she's you know you know she's a different size and she was mentioning it on weight on on social media and she said you know one of the things which um really helped her was actually letting go of other people in her life that were affecting how Mm. she risked you know her relationship with food if you like so whilst it was it was a journey for her and and it included losing weight and she's Mm. been at this now stable lower body weight for a number of years with no no um you know it's it's not um a hardship for her at all you know she's very Mm. comfortable where she's at it was that recognizing that there are people who may not be helpful and but that's that's difficult though you know like that's because we Mm. because that's a whole message in and around how you communicate with other people and and having to deal with actually the bigger issues which Yeah, that's well, just a challenge. A lot of um, a lot of research around weight stigma, particularly at an early age, and particularly coming from you know weight teasing, yeah, and food comments coming from an early age, and particularly coming from family, are associated with weight gain. <laughs> you know, so mm. um, there's a lot going. <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Well, I had a um, someone close to us when we were growing up, mm. and they I remember going to a birthday party and the bringing out like the fondue dessert. I even remember what was on the dessert table because it was delicious, and I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, I love caramel. And the <laughs> yeah. woman said, "Oh, Mickey, I knew you'd be the first one up." Oh, yeah, it's you know, and, doesn't it? Well, that was like I think I was eight <laughs> yeah. or nine. That was 
literally like 35 years ago and yep. it is and I still remember that person as making comments mm. on on me being bigger than my twin sister I was yeah. a chubby girl growing up and they let me know it you know and uh, yeah that really Not developed <laughs> no no and it really played a large part in developing how I kind of um you know, negotiated food and exercise and stuff mm -hmm. throughout my years and, and certainly in a non-healthy manner, you know, so yeah. that, yeah, it's a challenging space. for Everybody's got a story like that. Yes. Don't they? Oh yeah. It's, it's just, oh, people don't think I hate it when I'm around adults that comment on children's bodies or what they're eating yeah yeah because if they haven't experienced an eating disorder or dysfunctional relationship with food themselves they don't know what they're doing 100 and you know yeah. what sometimes adults do think and adults are mean to children and yeah you know and that's just and, and i it's really interesting because as a you know as a stepmom now and mm. i haven't had the luxury of having children in my life for a large part of my adult years it's only been in these last kind of three or four years i'm really mindful of how i speak to the kids about everything not just food but just you know mm. how I interact with them because I recognize the the negative impact that certain comments had with um how I then went on and and I remembered them and it, it does taint my memory of certain people and oh, I would definitely. hate I'd hate for some kind of thoughtless comment to have that same impact yeah I remember um one of the triggers for me starting dieting because the thing is this, with the comments, the most common thing that happens is you start dieting and then you rebound eat. And that's what causes the weight gain, right? The yeah. diet, it's the weight cycling, not only causes weight gain, but it's horrible for your health. Mm. In any case, for me, it was pony club. And the, the instructor was going around, she was sort of describing how to sit your thigh muscle kind of nicely on the saddle so that it looks flat oh and she went around the group and was going oh but you girls don't have much um you know you guys don't have much flab oh you've got none look at you you're really skinny oh yes Siri you, you've got a bit nice. <laughs> I was like oh and before then I had not even thought to compare my body to the other horse riders yeah interesting yeah and, you know I hadn't thought about that I mean there was more um, adults that made comments on my body but that's just a, a <laughs> that just that is a prime example yeah it's a prime example of an yeah. thoughtless adult yeah yep basically you no know, just not thinking yeah. so yeah Sarah anyway, I know you oh know we gosh, could we could talk for hours on there. that because I feel <laughs> like we could each share personal stories that <laughs> almost every listener would would kind of resonate with you know yeah, um so yeah. It's so principle number five on my list would be respecting fullness. And I do, you know, I feel like this is yeah. a really important thing because this will tie into hunger cues, right? It's yeah. it's recognizing when you're full. Can you just describe this a little bit more in yeah. a way? It's, it's actually um, a difficult principle. Mm. Um, the hunger signal is weak, much, uh, sorry, the fullness signal is much weaker than the hunger signal. Yeah. So that's probably just evolution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Try, you know, trying to make us desperately hungry and not really 
making us desperately full. Well, because of course but, that would be really yeah. advantageous, wouldn't <laughs> exactly. it? It would mean if there yeah. is food there, we're going to eat it guys. because yeah, it's not it's always going to be there. Yeah, that's right. Um, feeling your fullness is also something that can come very slowly to somebody that's coming out of dieting. Now, I don't know if you experienced this when you've um, dieted yourself down a bit too skinny, then uh, when you go back to eating, you can have something called extreme hunger. Which, I've seen people talk about yeah. it actually, like on social yeah. media and stuff. I've seen stories of women who have, who who recognise that they are they just cannot like physique athletes, particularly yeah. after oh, competing. Yes, yes. yeah, yes. yeah. That, that's that's when I got into it. So I should explain that although I resolved my binge eating disorder with intuitive eating back in my early twenties, I relapsed in my early 30s when I got into um, bodybuilding and, and mm. physique and uh, became, it got my body fat very low and it caused a relapse of my binging. Yeah, I could have seen that coming, but of course I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you see, you see that and it doesn't even need to be if you've got your body fat very low. It could be if you had been much bigger and you have dieted to get yourself smaller but you're still big yeah um when you start taking off the reins it takes a while for your body to get the message okay we're out of the diet we're out of the famine um and then the fullness signal starts to kick in but for a while it may be virtually absent um you know you can eat a huge amount of food and genuinely not feel fullness because your appetite hormones have gone crazy you know leptin ghrelin mm. um all a bit wonky <laughs> mm, mm. because of a neuropeptide why um all a bit weird because you've been dieting for so long so there's that aspect so the other thing is with feel your fullness is um people that have dieted following meal plans have often got very much into the habit of eating everything in front of them because that's all they're gonna get yeah so they don't get a chance to pay attention to their fullness because if they're full, it doesn't matter. They're going to eat it anyway. Yeah. And if they're not full, it doesn't matter because they can't have more. Yeah, yeah. So, Often these people don't like sharing food either. And, oh, you know, it's really interesting because I used yeah. to have that mentality too and I have to yeah. really struggle. I, I struggle a little bit now, actually. Like I have no qualms taking food from other people's plates yeah. without asking. But, you know, if I'm sitting there with Baz and we're, you know, we're having something and then he takes something from my plate and, like, my default reaction <laughs> is, hang on, I'd already counted that I was going to eat that. You know, it's a very, yes. it's a very ingrained yeah. behaviour from the years of dieting when I was younger yeah. you know because that was all I was going to eat that is you know that is my food and without it then I'm kind of going without it's so interesting yeah I've had that as well I'm not like that now though which is amazing I'm completely mm. relaxed with food now it's quite it's such a nice place to be mm. <laughs> but yeah so that, that is um fullness uh, we, we it sort of comes on slowly I'd be checking with people so you know, how's it, how's it going? Sometimes we do an exercise where I'll ask them to serve up half of what they would normally serve up and they can go back for more, but it provides a natural stopping point because the other thing is when you've come out of heavy dieting, quite often you eat fast Yeah, because you're always 
going to your meal completely ravenous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've probably been fantasizing about it for hours. Mm. And so uh, just slowing down, you know, we, we do things like that, slowing down. So that, that, is, that is a good one. I don't bother with setting timers and, you know, count your chews and mm. <laughs> all that, but just stop, pause, create a way to pause halfway through your meal. Well, I've got to say, so of mm. course, we've all read the literature that says you need to eat, you know, chew your meals, chew your, your mouthful 20 to 30 times and <laughs> eat in an undistracted manner with no TV, nothing around, oh, no books. And yeah. look, I'm actually just a, re- you know, I'm a realist. I'm just like, so I'm like you, I'm like, just, just focus on eating slowly and chewing and swallowing before you put your next fork full, full up because yeah. often people shovel, but certainly we've got to kind of take into account that some of, you know, some of the behavioral cues that may have been appropriate 30 years ago or 20 years ago when there wasn't so many distractions around just you know it's a little bit unrealistic to say to someone sit in a quiet room and eat your food (laughs) you know when I I tend to so that is kind of mindful eating what you're talking about there Mm. um I do get people to do that but as a kind of a regular thing like maybe once a week Oh, nice. Pick one meal and you're doing mindful eating with it, proper mindful eating. So you're looking at it, you know, you're sensing your body, scan your body, what's your level of hunger? You know, yeah. it's a kind of an exercise that is separate from regular eating. However, the things you learn there sort of filter into everyday regular. eating. Yeah. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah. So, yep, that's feels, so that you know, over time, you people do learn to feel their fullness and it can feel like all types of different things. And it depends on what type of food you're eating as well. You will learn that some foods make you feel full quickly. Other foods you don't feel the same, but you actually are full. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, Fullness isn't just a stomach sensation and nor is hunger actually. Yeah. You know, it can just be that you're losing interest in your meal. Yeah. Um, or that it's not tasting as good as it did before. I can't imagine losing interest in a meal, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that's a, like a, yeah. it's almost like the, you know people who say they forget to eat. I'm like, how do you forget to eat? Like, yeah, what do you I, mean you? I, I do that now. I you know went to sleep and I was like, I forgot to have breakfast. Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know that that definitely came with not trying to keep my body thinner mm, I am a mm. bit a bit bigger than I was not heaps <laughs> but you know definitely at a size that it took a bit of mental work to come to terms with yeah yeah and but with that comes all of that that stuff you know I just don't think about food as much as I used to um I don't mind you know people taking stuff off my plate although you know depends how they do it I guess and who they are <laughs> But, you know, like, it's interesting yeah. that whole, I don't think about food all the time. You know, people often say that if you're thinking about food all the time, clearly you've got some, you know, you've got some issue going on. I know plenty of people who are completely, you know, who do not have any mental distress in and around their diet that think about food because they actually just love to eat. Like, yeah, I don't think, right. you yeah. know, so, you know, if you're out there thinking, oh, my God, I actually really enjoy looking forward to and planning my meals. It just doesn't mean that you are, you know, you've got some kind of un 
you know, unconscious eating issue. So don't. I think don't. it would be um, a matter of when you're thinking about food. Like there's thinking about food that's appropriate and there's thinking about food that's, that's probably a sign that you're not eating enough. You know, if you're sitting in a meeting oh, totally. and you can't stop thinking about food or if you're waking up in the night dreaming about thinking about what you're going to eat the next day, then that may be be an indication that you've become a little bit hyper-focused on food. Well, do you do you also think that if you're hungry and thinking about food and denying yourself eating, then that's probably when the thinking about food is is actually a real issue because yeah, you're thinking right. about you're hungry, food, but you're actually not doing anything yeah, about it because exactly. you're afraid about it. Yeah, if you're hungry and you're thinking about what you're about to eat, then fine. You know, that's, that's normal and natural. And, you know, hopefully you would be thinking about what you're about to eat rather than just... Um, you know, eating without thinking about what you can Because eat. we often as well, like we, it might be, we may have just finished breakfast and we're like, oh, hey, what's for dinner? And part of it is the planning process in That's our right. household. It's planning and meal planning is, is not dysfunctional. <laughs> but it's like like everything you know it's it's how it's it, contextual eh? yeah that's right yeah yeah so obviously this then you know we if we talk about respecting fullness as principle number five then you know discover the satisfaction factor as principle yeah. number six this is all going to be kind of part of it and you mentioned how you know feeling full isn't necessarily just about the food or the mm. the amount of food you know so do you have anything that might add so that, to yeah, what we've talked about there that's about I feel like I say yeah a lot when I listen to this podcast I'm gonna be like Sarah you gotta stop it <laughs> I'll tell Barry to edit them all out don't worry <laughs> So discover the satisfaction factor is sometimes the first thing I start with mm. with people. And it's about figuring out what type of meal satisfies you. Now, some people um, misinterpret this as well uh, and, and thinking that what we're saying is eat only hyper palatable, ultra glorious mm. foods um, because those are the most satisfying, but it's not that. Um, diet culture really takes away the satisfaction fail the satisfaction failure factor of food as a value when you're eating. So it's not really important if your meals are satisfying as long as they're correctly um, structured and of the right calorie level, right? And what about protein here, Sarah? Because oh, you know, yeah. there is there yeah. is research to show, and we know that protein is much more satisfying than other nutrients. And there is actually research showing that if you eat your protein foods first, you're going to have less of a blood sugar response to your subsequent kind of meals. Yeah. So what you're talking about there is satiation, which is which is related but different to satisfaction. Okay. So satisfaction is more of the psychological effect. Okay. And the um, the sensual I'm going to say experience yeah. of eating so we'll get back to satiation and protein but um so when looking at whether a meal is satisfying to you has to do with your experience of the food mm. so you would look at it and it involves things like tastes and textures flavors you know saltiness sweetness what do I feel like right now you know mm. do I want something sweet do I want something salty do, could this meal do with some nuts for crunch yeah. you know yeah. how can I make this meal more psychologically satisfying to me right now so yesterday That's morning for example because I'm I'm big on 
different types of breakfasts and at the moment if I'm at home it's usually like a smoothie type thing like a smoothie bowl and then yesterday morning I was thinking about smoothie bowl and I'm like I actually don't think I'd be satisfied with that and it took yeah. me about 20 to 30 minutes to figure out that in fact see I love eggs with tomato sauce actually I love it and so I'm like I think I want an omelette with some of those leftover veggies and have it with some cottage cheese and tomato sauce I know that sounds a bit weird but I realized that that was what was what was going to satisfy me not even though food volume and caloric value were all very similar but just the different flavors the textures the the temperature was different that's right and you see that that is something that structured diets often take away from you is the ability to make your meal emotionally satisfying. Mm. But the other thing you were talking about was satiation and protein. And that is definitely a thing. And I will quite often sort of encourage people to include more protein because from a health perspective, many people are not eating enough. Mm. Um, not going to disagree as you know. Yeah. And how, however, um, it's this idea that you should eat more protein because it makes you fuller for longer. Mm. Although that is a thing and that is true, that's not really something I focus on because mm. if you eat less protein, all you discover is that you're hungrier <laughs> sooner. And yeah. protein isn't the only factor in satiation, as we know, there's also fiber. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not that we you need to eat protein because then you'll be fuller for longer. That's not kind of how I approach it. Because being full for longer is something people need to discover on their own. Yeah. And that makes sense given your clientele and how you, you know, how you work with your with your um with the clients that you see as well. And you're right, like fiber is just as an aside that is such you know for some people that is actually the game changer you know I have a a friend who feels like she could eat four eggs and feel pretty hungry an hour later but if she has two eggs and in a salad with like a lot of fiber she actually feels much more satisfied and much more um satiated by that it's really interesting yeah I mean satiation isn't something I mean there's this whole moral thing Thing around oh you shouldn't feel hungry soon after mm. your meal you know you've done something wrong there's something wrong with your body or whatever but in fact if you do feel hungry soon after a meal that's normal depending on what you ate and it may not even be a problem so you but you might want to tweak what you're eating so that you have a longer lasting satiation just because it's annoying yeah it's <laughs> funny actually what you know? I, I see on the um the keto social media and Facebook pages how people talk about oh you should not be hungry if you eat this way you'll yeah. never be hungry and yeah. then there and then there are people who legitimately are like I must be doing something wrong because I still feel hungry even though I'm eating you know oh you know nuts vegan. and and cream and cheese and oh. and eggs and and things oh. like that yeah that's probably another whole podcast yeah 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 and hey I'm not dissing I'm an adv- totally an advocate in the right context of a keto approach for some people but just probably not the thousands of people that I see who are 
you know, not meeting their health goals yet, oh. white knuckling it. Um, so if we move on, we've we've really covered that kind of honor your feelings without using food. And you talked about, yeah. um, you know, earlier on. I really that, that principle now. Um, I've just made some notes. So, like they're in the fourth edition of the book now, and that one's been the name of that's been changed. So it's now cope with your emotions with kindness. Yeah, nice. Be, to sort of take away the without food bit because sometimes coping with your emotion because it, it makes it sound like if you do cope with your emotions with food, you're doing something wrong. I get yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So that, that's interesting, but we kind of have talked about that. Cope with your emotions appropriately and with kindness. Cut yourself some slack. We all live in a stressful world. Yeah. So the and next one is respect your body. And we've talked about this quite a bit as well, I feel. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Quite interesting, you know, body respect is a good term that I use. There's lots of other ways. Like, it, you know, some, some people struggle to love their body mm. or even like their yes. body. sometimes it can be a fraught relationship with issues yeah. yeah and a bit like if there's somebody you don't quite like but you may be able to respect them yeah and so body respect is about looking at what your body does for you <laughs> and you know it can it can feel when you don't like your weight it can feel like everything's wrong with your body and it can be hard to love your body, like your body and body respect can take a bit of working on. So yeah. we look at, at things like, you know, how does your body work? Isn't it amazing <laughs> the yeah. that it does? Yeah. And eventually coming to a place of respect and hopefully eventually you'll, you'll get to appreciate yeah. uh, your body. So, but, but yeah, we, we sort of have talked about that. That's interesting as well, yeah. the, because I like how it's not about love your body, yeah. because then if you wake up one day, you, you know, it doesn't matter what size you are, you know, no. you're not always going to wake up and go, oh, I feel amazing, I look amazing, you know, like because what you see in the mirror is le almost always less of a reflection of what you can see staring back, it's what you yeah. actually perceive, you know, and I remember, um, um, I think it was um, Stupid Easy Paleo Steph, Godot, I think I'm going to yeah. say that's her last name. She was she was really big on this last year. Not about love your body. It was actually about you know what it's all right if you wake up and you don't love your body. You you that's know right. it doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. that there's something wrong with you. You can't um, force yourself. No, but that respect is, yeah. is different. And I often talk to people about thinking about what their body can do. You know, and I think this is where being this is where as an athlete. I feel there's a real advantage because and I, and I, I use athlete in a really loose sense. I'm not meaning that you have to participate or compete in a particular sport, but actually that you just engage in physical activity and you recognize, you know, you may be able to lift a little heavier week on week and you may be able to run a little faster week on week or, mm. you know, whatever it is that you do. And that of course plays in, I don't know how that plays into that next principle, the ninth one about exercise, but I feel like part of that respecting your body is a appreciating what it can do and actually using it in a certain way and I think that's right and it, it does come into nutrition as well mm. um respecting because of course we're coming into the the end the last principle of intuitive eating which is honor your health with a gentle nutrition and respecting your body is related to that as well for sure no, and what about yourself. 
And what about um, principle nine exercise, feel the difference? Yeah, movement, feel the difference. So again, it's about pulling movement. Uh, yeah, it used to be exercise, but they've changed the terminology to movement. Yeah. Um, to, because it doesn't have to be structured exercise. Yeah. yeah. Exercise has a kind of an aura of being about weight loss. <laughs> um, it's not always, of course, but it can be. That's, so a it's about, that's, a, that's a perception thing because I wouldn't have said yeah. that actually, but it's just also our different experiences because yeah, I definitely. have a real big history. You know, this is you know part of my I, performance. You're that's in the, it. The field of performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course yeah. with, yeah, so that really is a contextual thing. But yeah, yeah that, no, I appreciate that, The type of clients that I see quite often only exercised to try and lose weight. Yeah. And when that didn't work, they stopped exercising. <laughs> and some people choose not so, to exercise because they feel like it is going to impede their weight loss, you know? That's right, yeah. And, Crazy. and it can be confronting if you're in a larger body or if you just don't have a great relationship with your body. Movement forces you to encounter your body. Yeah. It forces yeah. you to experience your body, what it can do, what it can't do. And so movement is about... Movement Feel the Difference is about the benefits of exercise on your mental health and on your physiological function that are not necessarily related to weight loss. Because let's face it, if we could take all of the benefits of exercise and bottle them up and sell yeah. it, mate, yeah. we would be millionaires. And it has so much going for it. Yeah, it really you know, does. Sometimes I'm sitting around feeling like my life sucks and it's just because I've been, um, you know, sedentary for a day or two. Yeah, get yeah. Out, go for a walk, get some um, circulation happening around yep. the bottom and yep. good again. You know, those yeah. are real. <laughs> yeah, amazing, right? And then, yeah. Sarah, that last principle, which you mentioned, and I'll just re restate, honour your health with gentle nutrition. This, yep. to me, kind of brings it back to really nourishing your body with with That's right. with food which 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 of course then like cuz you mentioned that a lot of people think intuitive eating is all about processed food whereas actually I'd never thought that was all about processed food without even knowing the principles like it didn't make sense mm. to me that it would be that so can you just talk us through what what is meant by gentle nutrition it's gentle um, because we approach it in a way that attempts to avoid triggering people back into diet thinking yeah so this is a, it is common for people when they first embrace intuitive eating to go through a phase where they eat all the foods they didn't eat when they were dieting yeah and also dieting has quite often given people a dysfunctional relationship not just with play foods play foods sorry being process yeah kind of foods you eat for fun fun foods <laughs> yeah. fun foods but with regular foods as well regular everyday foods you know something like broccoli which can be super tasty cooked mm. right um quite often they just won't touch it because it has psychological implications of being a diet food yeah so it's about rehabilitating the relationship with good nutrition and making it about looking after your body so you know we we don't um the, the authors of intuitive eating book are both uh, both have master's degrees in nutrition and mm. i think they're both dietitians actually yeah in america um so they at no stage deny nutritional science and research 
but it's about building it on a solid base and getting away from trends. <laughs> you know, actually looking at what the science says around good nutrition. Like there's excellent science around um, getting decent levels of fruit and veggies. You know, it's health protective. Mm. Um, so how do we bring that in in a way that's fun and life enhancing? rather than you know eat nine cups of veggies a day just get it down there <laughs> yeah now Sarah so so I guess you know a couple of more broader questions is you know is intuitive eating is it incompatible with wanting to lose weight no it's not incompatible with wanting to lose weight but because that is a desire that I think is could almost be considered normal given the environment that we live in however mm. it is incompatible with intentionally pursuing weight loss while you are learning it and yeah. the reason is because that sort of fractures your focus so yeah. the the terminology in the book and that we tend to use is while you are mastering intuitive eating you put weight loss on the back burner yeah so it's there you know it's there you're not denying it's there um, but it is not the focus of anything that we're doing here. Okay. So when it comes to weight, weight may do anything with intuitive eating because it depends on where you're starting and why you are the size you are when you're starting. So if you're working with somebody that's in a larger body and they're there because they're binge eating and have a dysfunctional relationship with food um, involving using food for a lot of emotional reasons and it's just you know they're a bit of a mess in that way and they manage to develop a more relaxed attitude to food and stop binging then their, their weight may come down yeah so anything can happen and other people if they've been restricting um and keeping their body at what would be uh, keeping their body at a particular weight via superhuman means mm. <laughs> and we we release off the reins <laughs> they may gain weight even if they were in a larger body to start with yeah yeah so it really depends on where somebody's at and, yeah. and, and just as likely as nothing happens with weight however you have a far more functional relationship with food and feel yeah. better about it and body in general so that's yeah. what we say. Anything could happen. It's a mystery. And Sarah, like finally, how would someone know that intuitive eating is for them? You know, is this well, that this is something that they need to do or should do or, or, you know, are interested in doing? Well, if you look at what intuitive eating is designed to achieve. So it is a framework for repairing your relationship with, how do they say it, with, with food, eating your mind and your body. So yeah. if somebody gets to the point where they've hit diet rock bottom, as we say, and they realize that they're done <laughs> with this and they want to do something different, mm. then that is the type of person who intuitive eating may work for. Okay. Yeah. And by work, uh, you know, there's this idea that any, any program related to nutrition, it works when it makes you thinner. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and that is not what you're referring to. No, that is not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is getting normal with food. Yeah, yeah. You know, being able to function 
in any situation where there's food without it causing stress. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And so, you know, finally, because I did actually want to, like you, you mentioned again that hitting diet rock bottom and that is you know one of those kind of stages if you like which you mentioned around intuitive eating sorry yeah I was just going to ask how those stages fit in with these 10 principles which we've just covered well the stages are kind of as you're working through the principles you sort of progress through the stages as well yeah it's just basically learning about intuitive eating and then slowly getting really comfortable with it and then slowly feeling like you the ultimate goal should be you're not even thinking about it anymore yeah 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 you're just doing it and it's become natural and normal and it should be a natural normal way it's just that we've become abnormal with food yeah I feel like you know we live in a in a food environment that is so weird yeah, it's interesting, eh? And it's, yeah. this is, again, a different perspective, which is why I'm so pleased that we've had this conversation today because I would say the same mm. for, for similar yet different reasons as well. And they're not wrong. It's just These are just our different kind of perspectives. But I, yeah. I definitely appreciate much more some of those principles around intuitive eating and can see how people would, you know, people who I might talk to could really benefit from, you know, investigating it further. So who are the, who are the creators? Is it Evelyn? Evelyn Trebley. Trebley. And Elise Resch. I, I think that's how you pronounce her surname. Yeah. Um, and whilst, of course, there are resources and books in and around intuitive eating, obviously, like, are you taking clients, Sarah? Yes, I am. So I've got my website, nznutritionist.com, and I'm also on Instagram, nznutritionist. You are that very, I really enjoy your feed. I find it. Oh, both, man. Like it's, place. I've been ranting about religion lately. It has, but also I appreciate that. So that's fine. But not all, you know, like, but that's not for everyone. Don't worry, because Sarah also is like an exceptional food photographer, has, you know, I really enjoy your stories in and around just your everyday day to day stuff too. I have this kind of um, dream if I could be like a photographer and blogger. I don't know how anybody makes money doing that though, but. That, that would be great. Like my ideal life would be just taking photographs and blogging and writing. Well, well, <laughs> equally, and thankfully for the people who are listening to this podcast, you sound equally passionate about helping people restore their relationship in and oh, around yeah, nutrition and yeah. food. I'm, I'm so into it. Yeah, <laughs> which so is fabulous. I'm about it. Um, and it, it's such a big deal for me when, when people say things, you know, like they, they don't, think about food you know they're not obsessed about food anymore and they'll just drop it in and I'll be like yeah yeah it's <laughs> so rewarding yeah, isn't it I'll just drop it in like oh you know I wasn't even thinking about food like I normally do and I was like oh that's great because it just shows that they're progressing or they they went for a walk and they loved it and just seeing people sometimes they don't even realize how well they're doing yeah that's lovely and, and I get really, really excited about it all. Nice. Or they, they, you know, have a, a relapse binge, but then we realize that's the first one they've had for four months or something. Yeah. And when they first started seeing me, they were binging every week. Yeah. And, or, you know, a couple of times a week. And people don't realize how well they're doing until they look back. 
that's awesome. Yeah. This for people will be super interesting. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I definitely want to, you know, jump on the call again with you at some point to discuss one of your other mini hats with regards <laughs> to like the food industry. But I'll oh, include yeah. your links and anyone who really you know, feels that they would really benefit from the type of, um, you know, help that you can provide, absolutely hit Sarah up on Instagram or go to her yeah. webpage because she is open for business. Okay. Um, Sarah, thank you so much. And, well, thank uh, you for having me. This has been great fun. Great. Lovely. And um, we'll talk soon. Yes. Bye-bye. Have a lovely day. Great weekend. Bye. Bye. So team, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and I've got to say I learned a lot about intuitive eating because there are a lot of, I suppose, misconceptions out there as to what it is and whether or not it is actually possible to be an intuitive eater in this environment with which we live and whilst you know Sarah and I might not align on all elements of our approaches in and around diet and the diet culture I learned so much and really value her information so I hope that you guys did too and as I said you can find Sarah over at nznutritionist.com and also over on Instagram at nznutritionist and she is really approachable and you can absolutely contact her if you feel that you would like to work with her with regards to intuitive eating. And next week on the podcast, I have my mate Cliff Harvey back on the call discussing your questions related to nutrition. We have a good old chin wag as per usual. So I hope you stick around for that. And if you do enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please go to your podcast platform, hit subscribe, review the podcast, get the word out there because the more people that review the podcast, the more other people are aware that it even exists and the more that we can get some of this really interesting information into the ears of people who might want to hear about it. And I certainly don't take lightly the the fact that you guys take the time to tune in each week and listen to the people that I have on. If you have any requests for people you want to hear me interview or topics that you would like to see discussed, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what the, who those people might be. And you can contact me on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or on my website, MickeyWillardin.com where you can also sign up to one of my online coaching plans, whether it is weight loss, a keto longevity diet you're after, just a decent old food plan to help you figure out what to eat on a day-to-day -day basis, or you're an athlete and you want to fuel your performance, I'm gonna have a plan for you. So that is a 28-day meal plan with shopping lists, a weekly email that covers a different research topic almost every week, and a weekly forum over on our members only Facebook page where you get Q&A with yours truly. In addition to actually just having access to my brain 24-7 through our in-app messaging system. And that is just a great way to support the podcast really by signing up to one of the nutrition coaching plans. And a number of people have reached out to me to ask how, they, how they're able to do that. So that at this point in time is your best option. And of course, I am also available for one-on-one -on -one consultations too. So until next time, peeps, 
Have a fab week. Catch you next Wednesday. See you later.